TN Chat, Episode 1, Monday, 28th of April, 2008. Hello everybody and welcome to TN Chat episode 1. On today's show I have an interview with Chris Lester, the podcaster behind the excellent Metamore City podcast. So I'll be asking him a few questions, try and figure out what his secret is, how he writes such fantastic stuff. I also have a film recommendation. I'm recommending a film called When the Last Sword is Drawn, a fantastic film. And I'm also, of course, going to be drinking tea. Now, I was out shopping this morning, getting some groceries, and I've come across two teas that I've never tried before. One of them is a Chinese jasmine tea, which, according to the box, is green tea and jasmine flowers, and is product of the People's Republic of China. So that's one. And I've got another tea here, which is Caribbean lemongrass, fevergrass tea. A refined lemongrass tea, which is soothing and pleasantly aromatic, and which can be consumed at all times, inducing a feeling of calmness and comfort to the body. Sounds interesting. So I haven't actually decided which one of these I'm going to try yet. I've never had either of these teas before. I've never even heard of Caribbean fever grass tea. So I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm going to point at the boxes. Okay. And that one. Right. So the winner is Caribbean lemongrass fever grass tea. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to play a quick promo while I go and stick the kettle on and I'll be right back in a minute. Daniel Sharabi had it all. 126 to 90! If the championship game has ever seen a shellacking like that before, I've never heard of it. Athletic achievement, good looks. You think that was good? Wait till tonight. And the love of his life, Rebecca. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Bex and I are going to try to get approved as the start of the new breeding cell. But Daniel and his friends are members of the Psy Collective, the worldwide brotherhood of telepaths. And they're about to find out that the needs of the many... Every population is limited by the number of fertile wombs available. What if our powers aren't strong enough? What if they decide we aren't good enough to qualify for the breeding cells? Outweigh the needs of the few. Your powers aren't strong enough. We do not need low-powered males to become fathers. Shh. It's okay. No, it's not. They're going to send you away from me. Now... As the Collective prepares for a gangland war against its greatest enemy... All of us may soon be dead. Look, sir. Trouble's coming. A telepathic prodigy becomes a pawn in the struggle for power. Scary. How strong do you think she is? One of the strongest I've seen. Daniel and his friends must decide whose side they're on. I can't believe he didn't tell you. Malcolm Ardvalos, the vampire prince? Elder, I would like to invoke the right of bounty. Shoot to kill. My God, what have you done? And how far they're willing to go, or how much they're willing to change to keep what they love. Hi, I'm Danny. Danny Sharabi. Never thought of that, did you? Metamore City, Making the Cut, is the first novel in the world of Metamore City, written by Chris Lester, featuring a full voice cast, sound effects, and music to bring the story off the page and into your ears. Brilliant. Available exclusively on the Metamore City podcast. Tune in on Sunday, December 30th, 2007, and be there for the beginning. Sounds perfect. Metamore City. Making the cut. Family has its price. I made a deal. I didn't. www.metamorecity.com. That's M E T A M O R City.com. And we're back. And I have a lovely hot cup of lemongrass tea. Well, I suppose it's a herbal infusion. But anyway. Smells nice, 
So I'm going to try some now. Hmm, actually that's not bad. It's quite, uh, it's quite light and... Yeah, no, I, I like that. It, uh, it's very fresh, very light. It's quite tasty actually. Mm, yeah, I like that. That's very good. Um, Caribbean lemongrass tea. Very nice. Um, but not not bad at all. Ah, that's, that's a rather successful. I was half expecting the first tea testing to be a disaster. I was going to come on the show and go, I've got this great new tea and I'm going to try it live on air. And then be absolutely disgusted by the result. But no, that's that's lovely. Um, that's very nice. I definitely have another one of those. So lovely, yes. Definitely one to check out if you like your herbal teas. Try the Caribbean lemongrass. It's very nice. I might... It says on the box I can try it with milk as well. So I might I might try it with milk for the next cup. Okay, well it's time now to switch over to Skype and have a nice chat with the one and only Chris Lester. Hello, Chris. Hey, Stephen. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you, thank you for agreeing to do an interview. Not a problem. Okay, so I've just want to sort of want to start off. I've I've got a, a few listeners who who might actually not know what Metamore City is. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could just explain a little bit about Metamore City. All right, Metamore City is a science fiction fantasy podcast series. It is a mixture of short stories and novels set in a world that is essentially an epic fantasy world that has been tr- projected forward into a near-future level of technology. So it's sort of Lord of the Rings meets Blade Runner. Sweet. And um, originally you wrote something else. Um, You were writing in something called Metamore Keep. Uh, Yes, yes. Metamore Keep was the original uh, medieval fantasy world that uh, Metamore City is based off of. Uh, it was started by a fellow writer on a writer's group that I was a part of since 1996. And uh, he sort of created this world and said, I made this big sandbox, come play in it. And uh, people created characters, and we started telling stories with each other's characters and sort of building this world together. And uh, after a couple of years of working on this and playing around in this world, I started thinking about you know, where is this uh, this world going long term if, you know, all the, all the fantasy worlds that we've seen before, um, it seems like magic, if, if magic is doing anything, if the world is progressing, magic is going away. And technology, there, there seems to be this inverse relationship between the march of technological progress and the existence of magic. And I thought, well, what if, you know, because the way that we'd set things up in Metamore was that magic was actually at a low ebb at the time that the fantasy stories were taking place, this medieval world. And magic was going to start coming back into the world gradually and in increasing magnitude. And so I thought about what would happen to tech if technology and uh, magic were not inimical to each other. Um if they continue to evolve side by side. Cool, cool. And I've um I have to say off straight off the bat, I'm really, really enjoying Metamore City. It's it's fantastic stuff. It really is. Well thank you very much. I've gotten a very, very uh positive reaction to it and uh it's just delighted me. When I, I put out these first few stories on the mailing list that uh Metamore Keep was started on you know, the reaction was kind of lukewarm. Some people were into it, but for the most part, people were kind of like, well, what are you doing with our, our world here? Why, why are you doing things this way? 
And, uh, you know, not that I, I wasn't allowed to, it was an open universe, but, uh, you know, people were like, well, I don't want the future to be like that. And I said, that's fine. It's a spinoff. It's one possible future. And, uh, so when I started listening to podcasts and I found out about the, uh, you know, the podcast novel phenomenon and, uh, listened to Bilba Battings in the case for the singing sword and how, uh, T. Morris managed to weave in music and sound effects and all these different voice actors to really bring this story to life. Uh, that made me think, wow, this is a way to do these stories in a way that's really special, in a way that could get it out to a lot more people. So I'm just going to do a few, the first uh, few episodes, the stories that I have, and you know, put them out there and see what kind of a reaction it gets. And uh, the the reaction has been really good. And I've some of my episodes have gotten over 2,000 downloads. Wow, I mean that's that's very good figures for someone who's kind of only just sort of starting their podcast. I mean, that's really good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed to have grown pretty fast. I, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to Steve Ely of Escape Pod for the uh, the way that he uh, promoted the show. Um, you know, A few months ago, he went on uh, Escape Pod and talked about how much he was loving Metamore City, and my subscriber base jumped like 50% over a weekend. So that was pretty awesome. I was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, Steve will do that. He'll be like, hey, check out this great new thing I found. Mm-hmm. Whoosh, instantly the feed gets, you know, 50% more hits. I'll have to email him and get him to uh, plug this show as well, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Steve Ely is the slash dot of the podcasting world. <laughs> <laughs> you Actually, you were saying there about getting uh, the podcast done with with voice actors. You've got some really serious voice talent on board for this. I mean, you've got T. Morris, Pip Ballantyne, Steve Ely. What's it like working with all of these people and kind of piecing it all together? It's a lot of fun. It's occasionally uh, somewhat crazy-making, trying to keep everything um, coordinated and figuring out, okay, who do I need stuff from for this chapter and Occasionally, I'll go and start putting together the episodes, and it's like, uh, this line didn't quite come out right, and so I'll contact the uh, person and ask for a retake. And then, like just last week, uh, Pip emailed me, and she's, uh, you know, she just got a new microphone in the last couple months, and she's very proud of it. And the, the sound is so much better than uh, what she had before. And she's like, I want to re-record all of my lines for Chapter 9. Can I do that? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sure, yeah. And so now I have to go back and pick out those lines again. <laughs> but it's uh, it'll be totally worth it because uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of stuff to keep track of, but it is a lot of fun, and it gives me an opportunity to connect with a lot of people who I might otherwise not have made a personal connection with. And is it true you're going to go back and re-record the very first two or three episodes with the new voice actors? That is the plan, yes. Not episode two, because Leanne did an awesome job with episode two. Yes, she did. I can't touch it. Um, yeah, there's no way I can make that better than the way she did it. And but uh, It's it's Leanne Mabry. Yes, Leanne Mabry, um, who, who I owe so much to for helping to get me connected to other people in this community. But uh, Episodes one and three, where it's just me reading them, yeah, definitely. I want to go back and remaster those. Cool. And I have almost all of the voices that I need. I still need somebody to play the uh, the police sergeant, or the, the captain, rather. And But uh, I don't think that'll be too hard. I've got a couple of leads. I'm going to follow up on that one. Sweet, sweet. That's, I'm looking forward to hearing those again. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't want to mess with episode two. Yeah, <laughs> I think I could listen to Leanne read her shopping list and be enthralled. Yeah, just about. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, um, I was wondering, because I'm only starting out the podcasting thing myself, mm-hmm. I was wondering how you actually got into podcasts. I mean, who were the first people you listened to, that sort of thing? The first two shows that I listened to were uh, The Naked Scientists, which is a BBC radio program that is syndicated on uh, podcast, and uh, 
Firefly talk because I'm a huge brown coat and I just happened to hear about it and uh, wanted to check it out. And uh, from listening to those, uh, Firefly talk was the one that really I connected with more because it was more, there, there was more of a community feel to it. You know, a BBC radio program had feels and sounds like a BBC radio program. And, uh, you know, that it's, it is what it is. It's not bad. It's just, it doesn't have the level of personal connection that, uh, is typical of the independent podcasts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was really taken with the fact that there was this sort of ongoing conversation going on between, you know, the members of Firefly Talk and all the other, uh, members of the community, both the other, the listeners and the other podcasters. And from them, I started listening to si The Signal, and from them, I started listening to uh, several other um, different podcasts. And, you know, it's sort of snowballs. You listen to one, and then two, and then six, and then 24. And <laughs> Before you know it, you're hooked. Yes, before you know it, you've got, oh, how many podcast episodes do I have? I have 3,214 podcast episodes saved on my computer. <laughs> so... That oh nice I, I I'd love to get a figure for how many I have but I had to back a whole pile of them up because I started running out of hard disk space. Oh yes yes that is always a concern I think my I have mine spread across two external hard drives and uh, the hard drive on my Mac so yeah <laughs> and and some of the shows I haven't even gone back to re-listen to but I don't want to delete an episode of Winging It from two thousand and six. <laughs> well, I do actually delete back issues of the, the weekly topical ones, like um, Slice of Sci-Fi. I don't hold on to to back mm. episodes because by the time that you've you know it's a month old, all the news is out of date. But uh, the podcast novels and uh, stuff like that, or interviews with with authors that I really like, I'll hold on to those. Cool. Actually, um. Speaking of the podcast novels, it's a good way to, to just jump into making the cut. I, I, I think I remember somewhere you were talking a bit about, uh, I think it was in another interview, how you use something called the Dramatica method. Mm, yes. What's, what's, that, what's that like? Um, complicated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the basic theory of Dramatica, it was, it was a uh, theory of story that was created um, by a group of screenwriters. And uh, from what I understand, it's, it's uh, become quite popular within the screenwriting community. But it works for novels and short stories also. And basically the premise of Dramatica is that a story is a externalization of the way that the human mind tries to wrestle with problems. Um, you have an a, a essential issue. Um, the way that they describe it is, you know, that every story um, can be broken down into two components. Uh, it's sort of ex an external through line and an internal through line. Uh, the external through line is what's happening it's you know the the somebody is trying to attain an objective other people are opposing them and you know one person succeeds and the other fails um in the end um the internal story storyline the way that they describe it is that you have a main character and an impact character and it's like the main character is going along a path and they run into the impact character and the impact character says, you don't want to go this way, you should go that way instead. Okay. And so the, the main character's um, perspective is then challenged. They, they're presented with a new point of view. And they have to make the decision by the end of the story of whether to stay steadfast in what they believed was the correct thing to do. And... Um, continue going the way they were going or they have to stop and accept yes the impact character is right and I need to change my perspective and go another way and then 
you know, the, that choice can either lead to success or failure. And, you know, if they made the wrong choice, then it's a tragedy. If they made the right choice, then, you know, it's a happy ending. Um, and then, of course, there's another level of does the, how does the character feel about the result? Um, because, you know, a character can make the right choice and still yeah. feel bad about it, or um, they can make the wrong choice and feel good about themselves. A good example being Rosemary's Baby, uh, where the girl, you know, the woman decides to go ahead and raise the Antichrist <laughs> um, because she can't bear to give up her baby. Wrong choice, but she feels good about herself. Um, and then the other characters within uh, a dramatica story all represent different um, points of view or different factors that the human mind considers when wrestling with a deep problem. Um, you'll typically have a character who represents the emotional response to things. You'll have a character who represents the logical, rational response to things. You'll have the characters who try to hinder the, the protagonist to, to essentially you know, distract them or prevent them from attaining their goal. You'll have the allies who are, you know, represent faith and hope and the, you know, the dogged determination to keep going. And, you know, different character, the, these roles can be broken down into different sets of sub-roles, which can then be divided up um, among the characters to make more complex um, characters than the standard archetypes that you find in the most basic form of the, of the uh, what they call the story mind, but uh, ultimately you have the idea behind dramatica is that you go into it aware of that all these different roles have to be considered that the problem that you're tackling has to be examined from all angles because if there is a a perspective uh, a a way of looking at the problem that is part of the human psyche that you know that we don't deal with that the the story doesn't address then you've got a hole in your plot line because some you know some people may listen to it they may they enjoy the story but then three o'clock in the morning they're going to get up go to the refrigerator stop and think hey wait a minute why didn't they try this and so the uh the dramatica method is an attempt to uh, make sure that you get all your bases covered from the beginning to make sure that you are truly examining the problem from every angle, and then you know the the conclusion that you the, that you reach the um, the the decision that the the main character makes, and whether that um, decision results in success or failure in the external storyline, that's essentially your commentary on the problem. Cool. And would you? I mean, would you recommend it as? a good method for beginner writers who are approaching their big idea, approaching doing a novel? I don't really know. I mean, it's it's not something... They, they put out um, programs that are designed to help you along in the process of using Dramatica, but I found them kind of hard to work with. So I sort of read through the first several chapters of their, their book, um, which is available for free online, um, and, uh, you know, looked at the examples that they were giving and read through the different kinds of archetypes and the different kinds of roles. And, uh, you know, I used that stuff in the early setup stages for making the cut, but I didn't end up using it all the way through because it is very, it, it can get extremely complicated, um, depending upon how you break things down. So I don't think I would recommend it for a beginning writer i think that it's it's probably good to have been um getting some practice with the basics of plot and character um before you try um jumping into it because it is a fairly uh cerebral presentation of uh of the the story concept and uh, there are probably easier ways out there to get a uh, a good story um produced <laughs> Okay. Um, well, on the on the topic of advice for beginner writers, because I have a, my, I myself have never managed to finish a story. Mm. I'm I have this great idea, and I go and I write it down in a little notebook, and I carry the notebook everywhere with me, and then I expand a bit and expand a bit more, and then 
I have another great idea, and I'm going to go over here now and write that one down, and oh, then there's a, this thing over here, and I suddenly find that after a while I've got, you know, a notebook full of wonderful ideas, or at least they were wonderful at the time, if I could remember what exactly they were by the time I come <laughs> back to looking at them in the notebook. Uh, Murr Lafferty always says that the best advice she can give to writers is sit down, put your bum in the chair and write. Mm -hmm. Would you would you agree with that or would you have anything to add to that? Or I would agree with that. I think that that's rule number one. Um, Robert Heinlein put out a, a number of rules for new writers. Um, the first rule that he gave out was you must write, which is basically just what Murr said. Um, the second one is... You must finish what you write. Oh, dear. Um, oh, dear. The third rule is you must submit what you write. <laughs> the fourth rule is you must not edit except to editorial comment. And what that means is don't fiddle with stuff forever. Finish it or declare it finished. Send it out. And if someone tells you there's a problem, then address that. But don't keep rewriting the same thing you know, a dozen times over because you're not going to to get anywhere. I think that people need people tell different stories at different times in their lives because we're always growing and changing as people. Um, you are not the same person you were five years ago, biologically and metaphysically. Um, you, your experience is changing. And so if you keep messing with the same story, you're always going to find things to change, things that you would like to, to do differently because you're a different person now than you were when you wrote it. Hmm. So, you know, start small, write a story, see it through, and then go on to the next idea. Will it be perfect? No. All, you know, art is never finished. It's only abandoned. And ultimately, you have to say, this is the story. This is what this story is going to be. And leave it alone. You know, write it, leave it in your drawer for, or on your, your word processor for a week, come back to it, look at it, see if there's anything glaring that needs to be fixed. Then give it to beta readers. You know, join a writer group. Um, I, I can't stress I can't overstress the importance of getting in a community with other people who will give you feedback, who will give you honest feedback, um, because you will you know and get into a, a, a writers group with people who are at about your level. Um, it's not that hard to find them. I mean, it, it can be challenging, but there are, there are writers groups online that. Uh, make themselves available for people. You know, you, you go out and you submit critiques and it earns you credits to get your stories critiqued. Um, a lot of uh, science fiction conventions and literary conventions have writers' workshops. Go to one of those. I met some great people at the, uh, the science fiction convention that I went to um, last October. And uh, we, we you know, only met the one time in person, but uh, we set up a wiki uh, which is then a continuing community where we can go and, and uh, give our stories to each other and give feedback to each other. And uh, that really is one of the best things that you can do in order to improve your craft. And not just because you're getting feedback from other people, but also because you're giving feedback, because you learn things when you critique that you wouldn't be able to see in your own work. You can, you know, kind of, you know, as you start breaking down another person's story and examining it, you'll start to notice things and pay attention to them. You know, and if there's there's a flaw there, you'll start to see, well, you know, be, you'll be more conscious of it when you go to write your own stuff. Cool. I, I guess that might be one of the benefits of the producing your stuff over a podcast. It, it makes things a little less lonely. Oh, yes, yes. Writing can be an extremely lonely venture. Uh, but uh, there is the being part of an online community, you know, like the podcasting world, it's very energizing because you are, you're getting immediate 
feedback on stuff, you know, within a matter of days after I put stories out there, sometimes within a matter of hours, I've got people responding to me to tell me what they thought of the most recent chapter. Are you writing Making the Cut as you're podcasting it? Are you writing a few episodes ahead or have you already finished Making the Cut? Uh, somewhere in the middle, actually. I have the outline completed and I am currently writing chapter 28 out of 30 plus epilogue. So I am almost finished with it. Uh, I had to kind of take a break from it in order to sort of catch up with my podcast production schedule. And then I had a short story that I had to write, which I'm going to be uh, debuting at Balticon. But uh, for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm almost finished with it. I just have this last little bit to work out and then it'll be done. Uh, it was not my intention to podcast while I was, while I was writing it. Um, I, I started writing, uh, making the cut in May of last year. And I figured, well, you know, that was when I finished the outline and I started actually writing the story. And I looked at my schedule and, you know, figured I knew I was going to do a bi-weekly episode schedule. And I looked at how much time it would take to do the, the stories, uh, the other short stories that I had. And I said, well, I'm not, you know, on this schedule, I'm not going to debut even the prologue of making the cut until the last uh, episode in December. And then chapter one will begin in January. I can finish the story by then. (laughs) I, I, I planned for the novel to be about a hundred thousand words and, you know, I figured, yeah, not a problem. I, you know, and I, I planned to be done with, to, you know, have hit a hundred thousand words by the end of October. I got to the end of October and I had hit a hundred thousand words, but the story was not nearly finished. Um, because funny thing, when you start giving characters free reign to start acting, um, they do things that you don't expect them to. <laughs> a couple of a, uh, a bit character or a character I had introduced as a bit character, um, Miriam Bakhtavar. I brought her in to do one scene and uh, then the next chapter I realized that I needed someone to, you know, give a particular perspective from inside the, uh, you know, inside the hive. And so I then brought her back for that scene and then her actions there logically led to other actions which led to other characters taking actions in response to her and before i knew it i had this whole separate uh secondary plot line that was running parallel to the uh the main storyline and i saw how it was going to enrich what was happening in the main plot line and allow me to get a, a big punchy climax where i didn't have one before and, you know, as I brought all the, the threads of the story together. So in November, I stopped writing, went back to the outline, worked on it, expanded it, and uh, got myself back on track and then went back to writing. And uh, so the, uh, the, I knew where, it was, where the story was going by the time that Chapter 1 debuted, uh, but the actual process of finishing it has taken longer than I had anticipated. And suddenly you've got a a novel that's 200,000 words rather than 100,000. Pretty much, yeah. It's it's not quite going to be 200, I think. It's it's currently about um, 170-something, and so I'm, I'm figuring it'll probably end up around 180, 185, but I've been wrong so many times before in estimating my word count on this thing. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. It'll be done when it's done. And what lies ahead for Metamore City? Is there going to be a second novel, or are there more short stories coming up after making the cut? After making the cut, uh, there is a... the, The next story in the series is a uh it's going to be a, a crime uh, crime story and going back to the uh, the police 
characters, the MCPD uh, people from the, the first few episodes. Sweet. And uh, focusing in on uh, Kate and David as they are investigating a series of mysterious deaths around Metamore City. People who are apparently being burned from the inside out by magic. And uh, nobody is quite sure what's causing this. And so they have to investigate and figure out what's happening and try to put a stop to it. Um, That is... um, I don't know how long that story is going to be. I'm guessing it's probably going to be in the the novella range, but that's what I thought about making the cut. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. Um, I have some other short story ideas that I want to put out there. And uh, then there is a, uh, you know, there's a big overarching storyline that uh, all of this stuff is sort of setting up the pieces for. And uh, that's going to kick off um, after that um, detective story is done. And uh, there's a big um, assassination by magic of a major political figure in the Empire. And uh, it happens in in, uh, Kate and David's jurisdiction. And so they start investigating what's going on and uh, trying to figure out... uh, how this uh, how this murder happened, and uh, who was responsible for it, and I'll be bringing back in the uh, the telepaths, bringing back in um, Morgan. She's going to have some uh, issues to deal with with the uh, with the vampire syndicate. Excellent. Um, you're going to see uh, uh, Callie Linder getting involved. Uh, some circumstances. Um, happen with the people that she cares about that uh, start to get her uh, caught up in the process. Um, So all of these characters that we've seen in the early stages are going to be wrapped up in this this overarching plot line. But uh, I don't have that stuff broken down yet into discrete stories. Um, You know, after I finish making the cut, I'm going... I've, I've got the overall plot line worked out, but I need to start breaking it up into more discrete chunks in order to uh, figure out, you know, what's the next logical piece of the story to present. Oh, and the other the other uh, interesting one that I want to do, um, I don't know whether I'm going to do it myself or try to find somebody who's better at writing mysteries to do it, but um, I want to do a uh, uh, essentially a locked room murder mystery um, with the metam- the uh, Imperial Ministry of Space. Um, one of the things, the aspects of the world that we haven't seen yet is that um, the, uh, the Empire has a fairly uh, vibrant space program where they actually have a, uh, a, a space station complex set up at uh, what they, what's called the Lagrange point, uh, L5, uh, which is this sort of equilibrium point that's equidistant between the, uh, the Earth and the Moon. It sort of forms like the third, pe- the f- third piece of a triangle between the planet and the Moon, and it's, so it's a stable location that remains fixed with respect to those two um, bodies. And uh, basically what they do is it is a, uh, an asteroid uh, mining facility. They have asteroids brought in and um, they extract the ore from them and uh, send it back down planet side. And they, this is a way that they manage to avoid environmental degradation uh, in order to get at raw materials. Um, you know, they, they go out and go after the stuff that's out there. And... Uh, I want to tell a story um, with a murder mystery taking place um, among the uh, the Imperial uh, Space Corps and uh, have somebody trying to figure it out because, um, you know, there there's a certain, you know, obviously, you know, there's not too many places you can go <laughs> when you're, <laughs> yeah. you're stuck out there. And uh, because it's away from space, Matt, uh, it's you know it's out in space, it's away from the planet. Um, they are very restricted in how much magic they they can use. 
So you can't just do an augury spell and find out who, you know, killed this person. Um, you know, magic comes from life. And when you're out there in the middle of the void, there's no, you know, there's, there's no magic to draw on other than what you bring with you. And since they need their magic to provide things like, oh, gravity, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a limit to what they are, are able to do in terms of uh, working spells. And so they're, the uh, characters are going to have to resort to good old-fashioned uh, logical deduction in order to try to find the, uh, the killer before um, he or she either escapes or kills again. And uh, that's, that's a story that I, I really want to tell because it, it, I think it's an interesting setting for a, uh, a murder mystery. But I don't know jack about writing murder mysteries, so I either need to you know, learn how to do it or I need to pull in somebody who knows what they're doing and uh, you know, do some cooperative stuff with them. Maybe I should hit up my nemesis, P.G. Holyfield, to see it. <laughs> yeah, that's... I was just about to say this is this is your big chance to show Holyfield that you know you can write a murder mystery novel better than he can. Oh, I I would never presume to think that I can write a murder <laughs> mystery better than he can because yeah, Avedon Hill is fantastic, isn't it? It is. It's it's great stuff. I'm I'm pulling my hair out trying to figure out what's going on. So yes, I'm uh, I, I'm very much uh, in grudging awe of what. Holyfield has managed to do with Avedon Hill the fact that he can uh, take uh, you know to take a story and then take pieces of it out and still have have it make sense so that the 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 people who don't feel cheated at the end um, yeah that's that's not something I've ever known how to do so <laughs> I don't know I need need to practice on something smaller I think. But it sounds like you're going to be very, very busy for a while. You're not going anywhere. Definitely not. I've got, uh, I've got stories that are going to last for quite a while. Um, you know, I'm, I'm figuring that there could easily be um, six novels worth of material in this story arc, maybe more. Wow. Um, it depends on how it works out, but. Uh, Yes, I, I definitely have a plan on where things are going. I'm still working out the, the details on it. But, uh, you know, before the, the you know, I, I want to at least get each discrete uh, story um, completely mapped out before I release any of it. Um, I don't like this feeling of, you know, laying the tracks while the train is coming down the the, the rails. Um, Ala Mer Lafferty. Yeah, yeah. What she what she's done with uh, with the Heaven series is amazing. But I think that uh, you know, Earth and Wasteland were both mapped out in their entirety before they were ever released, and I think it really shows because the quality of the story. You know, Heaven and Hell were fun. But the story really hits another level in Earth, and it hits another level beyond that in Wasteland. Um, so there's, it's definitely evidence that there is something to be said for plotting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. On a, a non-Metamore City um, end of things, I hear there was a big idea for shape-shifting humanoid aliens protecting Earth. <sighs> Yeah, interesting. Uh, where did you hear about that? <laughs> You've got to do a little bit of research before you interview someone. I guess. It sounded like a fantastic idea. Yeah, the, um, the, that was the story that uh, I had in my head from around oh, 1994 to 1998. Um, I was working on that to that. Uh, world. The first novella that I ever completed um, was, well, no, not really. The second novella I ever completed. The first one that I could actually stand to go back and read after I'd finished writing it um, was one that was set in that, um, that story universe. Um, but that is a setting that is going to need 
a lot of work before it is ready for public consumption. Um, it is something that on I kind of like to go back to someday because I like the uh, I like the concept of it. I like the cosmology of it, and I like space opera stories. Um, they're a lot of fun. I like telling stories about you know these you know the 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 fighter pilots and uh you know people who are struggling against uh o- you know overwhelming odds against an alien force and traveling to exotic worlds and stuff i i love that stuff but um you know i look back at it now and it was very amateurish and it was definitely suffering from the oh let's throw all these ideas into this one pot and make a story out of it and it just it didn't hold together i mean metamore city has some of that everything but the kitchen sink feel to it in the fact that you've got um you know, vampires and telepaths and uh mages and uh you know the curse all interacting with each other but um i think that i've done a better job of balancing everything this time and making them interdependent um you know all of the different aspects of metamore's world sort of uh play off of each other and you know have ramifications for each other you know the the existence of the vampire syndicate has definite um impact on mortal society and the you know the it has a huge impact on the the telepaths. The telepaths have, in contrast, a you know a long-standing enmity against the the vampires, and they have their own interaction with the the normal humans, and uh, so you've got all of these different factions that all want different things, and none of them are necessarily evil. None of them are necessarily completely beneficent, um, but. Uh, the interaction between them creates the conflict that makes for good stories. Cool. Yeah, I was I was telling uh, some friends of mine about Metamore, and I rapidly discovered how much there was in it. I was like, no, there's there's tele there, there's telepaths, and there's there's the Mondays, and then there's vampires. Oh, and there's these really cool multi-leveled cities. Oh, and you have to see this cool. I suddenly discovered that wow, there's a there really is an awful lot in Metamore City. I mean, you could spend years and years and years digging around in the streets. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, there's, and, you know, there's there's levels of stuff going on. You know, that's just all within the city proper. You know, the city is, you know, just the the capital of a larger empire that has a very diverse um, society, you know, lots of different provinces with their own problems their own cultures and beyond that you've got other nations that are you know interacting with and competing with um you know the the empire of metamorph for you know different things and you know they have their own agendas and uh you know there's there's ongoing social problems and you know there there have been wars in the past really devastating wars that have long-term consequences um and all of this stuff, you know, we're kind of, I can only show the tiniest sliver of what's going on at any given time. And uh, it is, it's a world that's very, very alive in my head. And part of the process of writing has, you know, writing the story arc has just been figuring out which are the parts that are most relevant to the ongoing story that I want to tell. And I've had some some great helpers on that front, uh, people in my little uh, writer's wiki who have been able to sort of, you know, point out things like, you know, you've set all of these pieces in place here. Why don't you use that with this other situation over here and um, bring them together because you have a, the potential to tell a, a richer story that way. And, you know, part A will will facilitate this problem that you've had with part B. And I'm like, hmm, you got vampires in my telepaths. You got telepaths in my vampires. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Two great tastes that taste great together. But, uh, Indeed. There's been a lot of that stuff in the process of uh, of 
working out the story arc for Metamore and just figuring out what to keep, what's relevant, what's important, and what's going to sort of stay on the sideline. I have to say, I have to confess, I was um, I was quite surprised by Troubled Minds. <laughs> surprised in what way? The well, the first few episodes were very good action with magic and science and cops and all sorts of funky things going on. And then Troubled Minds is such uh, uh, I've. Personally, it's my favorite. It's my favorite piece of your work so far. It's so emotionally strong that I, I actually was, I was going, hang on a second, am I listening? Yeah, I am. I'm listening to the same, the same story in the same universe. But it's, I mean, it, it was, it's quite heavy duty in, in places. And I think it's, I, I'm, it's the one I recommend to, to people. You know, you, you want to check out Metamore City, listen to Troubled Minds Part 1 and 2. Once you've listened to that, if it isn't, in your pod feeder and you're not downloading every single episode you're not human you're you're a replicant there's something wrong with you well the i i sort of use troubled minds as the acid test because yeah and and there was a reason why it was the last of the short stories that i debuted because um it is very different in tone um it was a story that uh i conceived waking up out of a, a deep sleep and grabbed my laptop and typed out the the uh the outline for it in just this frenetic rush and uh the actual writing of the story i wrote it almost i, I wrote it pretty much entirely at night um into the, the early early hours of the morning um over the course of about three days the uh Almost, it was almost like a fever dream. Um, the uh, the intensity of it, because it was taking me to a darker place than I'd ever gone with my writing before, and it was a very um, intense emotional experience writing it. Um, but I say it's my acid test because it also is the the story that, um, well. <laughs> You've got a succubus in a school full of teenage girls. Um, if that doesn't scare you away, nothing else that I'm going to throw at you is probably going to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I knew that it was going to, um, that some people were, you know, I hoped that some people were, were really going to like it. I knew that it was going to wig a lot of people out. Um, in some ways, I've been astonished at how overwhelmingly positive the response has been to the story um, since I, I debuted it on, on uh, the podcast. I had almost expected to lose half my audience after it came out because I knew that it was something, you know, it was very different from anything that I had put out before, and it was you know, delving into some fairly controversial waters, uh, you know, from a, from both the, the horror standpoint and the uh, the sexuality standpoint. And, uh, you know, th those two, either one of those issues by itself um, would potentially be a source of um, some people having concern, but you throw them together in one story and, uh, you know, then... I, I really expected it to provoke more of a negative reaction than it did. And so I'm I'm always tremendously pleased when people tell me that they, they loved that story because it was so very experimental for me and it kind of validates the feeling, no, I wasn't crazy when I came up with this idea. It you know, it's not it doesn't just work for me, it's working for a lot of other people too. So thank you. Oh, it, it's believe me, the pleasure is all mine. It's it's astonishing work. It really is. Thank you very much. Okay, so I've gosh, I've kept you an awfully long time. Oh, no worries. I guess in in, in closing, maybe if you want to just tell my lovely listeners, all five of them, <laughs> where they can get more of your excellent podcast goodness. Uh, you can find Metamorph City at 
www.metamorecity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R city.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. Um, I'm on Skype as C.W. Lester. And uh, I'm on MySpace as, uh, golly, who am I on MySpace? I think I'm also Ethereus there. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much my coverage. I, I, uh, I'm trying to limit my um, delving into the... the uh, deep and uncharted waters of social media to try to focus my efforts on a few um, points of contact. Heck, I only just got a live journal. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I could manage, you know, more than one or two aliases on the internet. Yeah, yeah, it it gets interesting, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and for those of my listeners, for those of my listeners who need extra clothing in their wardrobes. You have excellent Metamorcity t-shirts. I'm wearing mine at the moment. Well, thank you. It's, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're uh, available for a limited time. I'm taking pre-orders through May 3rd. Um, for those of you who may be wondering how Stephen got his shirt when you didn't, uh, it's because I had a, a couple of extra shirts, that ha- one of which happened to be in his size from my first batch so um, I went ahead and sent it to him. Don't worry, you'll get yours when I promised you would. <laughs> Don't freak out on me. Especially you, Robin. Oh dear, I've gotten you in trouble. <laughs> oh, I know. Robin Hudson and, and Paula Jackson are going to be coming after me with pitchforks when they hear that, What? You gave us someone else's shirt and I didn't get mine yet? <laughs> but yes, I'm taking pre-orders through May 3rd, and uh, after that I am ordering... Shirts for however many people I have orders for, which is currently 36. So, good uh, good size batch there. But, uh, yeah, hopefully get a few more people and get the per unit uh, cost down for me so I can recoup some of the shipping costs. <laughs> ah, yes. They are fantastically um, good value as well. I was quite surprised. Yes, yes, the uh, selling the shirts for $12 plus shipping and handling, and uh, shipping and handling is somewhat subsidized on my end, uh, so I don't expect to make much of anything on the shirts when it's all said and done, but that's okay because it's, it, it uh, saves the uh, nice people at the IRS from coming after me with sticks. <laughs> <laughs> well, all righty, um... Gosh, I think that just about wraps it up. Uh, I could probably go on asking you questions for two or three more hours. <laughs> so um, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, telling everybody about Metamore City. I'll be putting links to it in the show notes anyway and trying to push as many new listeners your way as humanly possible. Excellent. And I will be putting this in my feed so that we can get more uh, listeners for you as well because you're a good interviewer. Fantastic. Well, this is the this is the very very first interview, so uh, thank you for that. I <laughs> hope it wasn't too painful. Oh, not at all. All righty. Well, thank you very much again, Chris. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode. I'm I'm up to date with Metamore City, so I, you have me chomping at the bit, eagerly waiting for the next one. All right. Well, I guess I better go get back to work on this thing yet, so I can get episode nine done. <laughs> Fantastic. You get you get back to work, and uh, I'll get back to to listening. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Alrighty. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris Lester from Metamore City. Thanks for thanks for com- coming on the show. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too. Okay. So now it's time for this week's movie recommendation. I thought long and hard about what film I wanted to recommend for the very first episode, and I've picked one of my personal favourite films of all time. When the Last Sword is Drawn is a Japanese film released in 2002-2003, and it is one of the best Japanese films I have seen in a very long time. It's definitely the best work 
by Yojiro Takita that I've ever seen. I, I've seen a couple of his, his films, and this is by far his best work. The basic premise of the movie, I'm sure most of you will have seen Tom Cruise's The Last Samurai. Well, it's the same period in history in which this film takes place. Although there's no gung-ho westerner swooping in to save the day. The film follows the story through flashback of a poor samurai from the north of Japan who must dishonor himself by leaving his village to go and work in Kyoto in order to earn enough money to support his family through a famine. Yoshimura, played by Kichi Nakai, is a very, very lovable character. He's a man who is continuously put down by the other members of the samurai group which he joins, the Shinsengumi. He's put down continuously for being a money-grabbing mercenary and for not really understanding what it is to be samurai. But he is an honest man who walks a very hard path in order to provide for his family. He believes that he is doing the right thing, and this belief is what allows him to live with the difficult choices which he has made. This is a very moving and entertaining film. I mean, it's beautifully shot. The acting work is fantastic. There are a few action scenes which are very, very well done. And I think it is a very thought-provoking piece of film. There are a few emotional tear-jerker scenes in the film. But there's one particular scene... I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody, but there's one particular scene, and it's the only scene in which I felt the director had made a bit of a mistake. The emotional level was overplayed and went on for too long. I actually noticed that it was going on too long, and I think that's the only, only scene that I have a problem with in this entire film. I've watched this film several times, and each time I find something new and rewarding to enjoy. So, When the Last Sword is Drawn, directed by Yojiro Takita, starring Kichi Nakai and Koichi Sato, is my recommendation for this week. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, a link to it on Amazon. If you can, it really is worth checking out. If you don't really enjoy martial arts films, samurai films, foreign language films, you'll probably still enjoy this. It isn't a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, very pretty, people bouncing all over the place kind of film. It's a very gritty, very real film. And I think even if this kind of film isn't your thing, you'll probably still enjoy it. On the other hand, if you enjoy samurai film, if you enjoy Asian cinema, if you enjoy martial arts films, this will work for you on several levels. You'll enjoy the cool samurai action, you'll enjoy the visuals, you'll enjoy the ideas, but you'll also find that the film resonates with you on an emotional level, and it will probably stay in your head for a while as you think about it for a time at least so that's the film recommendation for this week the two disc special edition is is great if you like behind the scenes footage interviews with the cast and crew that sort of thing but really seriously cannot recommend this film enough it's probably in my top 10 films of all time and it is certainly in my top three foreign language films. I'll probably do a film recommendation for one of my other top foreign language films next week, because having watched this, I've got a real itch to go back 
and watch a couple of my other favourites, so I'll probably end up recommending one of those next week. Anyway, that's about it for this week. Don't forget to check out the show notes on the website for links to Metamore City, as well as the recommended movie, When the Last Sword is Drawn. Next week, I'll be talking to Keen McMahon of the Starting Wow and View from the Quad podcasts, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I've no idea yet what film I'm going to recommend or what tea I'm going to have, so you'll just have to wait and see. Alrighty, in the meantime, look after yourselves. See you later. Music for this podcast provided by Amplifico. Available on the Podsafe Music Network. Visit music.podshow.com. Sound effects used in this podcast were provided by the Freesound Project. Located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. 